Well, again, thank you so much to all of those who have helped to put our worship service together. Uh, for Sally Ritterbush, who was our liturgist this morning, for our faith ringers who offered our special music, for our praise team uh, who offers our music leadership, uh, for Gary Brubaker who puts all of our music together, um, for, gosh, so many people. Thank you so much for all of the ways that you've helped to uh, to add and to put uh, to put these services together. So um, this morning, um, and for our Lenten series, we are talking about learning to walk in the dark, and we're looking at wilderness stories. So we're looking at stories throughout scripture of wilderness, at the stories of Hagar and Jacob, Moses, and Jesus. And we'll see what we'll take with us into and out of the wilderness. Bishop Luttrell Easterling of the Baltimore-Washington Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church asked a few months ago, she asked, what are we prepared to leave in the wilderness when we emerge? What do we leave behind and, and what lessons do we keep? And so today we start with the story of Hagar. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, um, wilderness is an image that's used throughout scripture. Um, and it's used sometimes as a physical description, but not always. It's often a metaphor. Um, it's a metaphor about emotional feelings, sometimes loneliness or isolation or even confusion. Sometimes it's a metaphor for feeling uh, apart or abandoned by God. And when we read these stories of wilderness, these remind us that, that God never abandons us. Spoiler alert. Although, when we find ourselves in the wilderness, it doesn't always feel that way. And the truth is that through the wilderness, we're often changed. Our first story, our wilderness story for this series and this morning comes um, as the story of Hagar. And she may not be someone that you're familiar with. Maybe as you heard uh, the, the scriptures this morning telling her story, you remember maybe a passing reference to her. Um, maybe you remember her as the mother of Ishmael or the, the maidservant of Abraham and Sarah. Maybe you just remember her name. Or maybe this is something that you've never heard before and you've never heard of Hagar or you've never heard her story. Well, from those brief snippets that we might remember, there's always so much more to the story. So the basic gist of the story um, is we often know the story either through Abraham or Sarah. Abraham was promised by God a great multitude of descendants. And Sarah, his wife, was unable to have children. And so then Hagar gives birth to Ishmael, and then later, um, Hagar uh, gives birth to Ishmael as Abraham's son. And then later, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. And as a part of the story, um, Hagar sort of just has a footnote. I mean, 
We know just very briefly about her. And yet, there's a lot that's going on here. So um, what we know, even from these brief snippets that we have, is Hagar suffered, Hagar suffered, and she suffered some deep abuse by many in this story. We know that she's a slave. Um, she's a slave that was given to Sarah, most likely from the Pharaoh in Egypt. But we actually don't even know her real name. Hagar is a Hebrew name, and she's an Egyptian. And the name Hagar is, well, it's quite derogatory. Um, Hagar means foreign. And it's not in the feminine terms that we would expect for a woman. It's actually in the masculine form. So this Hebrew word Hagar means, it basically means foreign thing. Can you imagine being called that? If that's how you were named, foreign thing, how you might have been treated? Imagine being called out of the name that you were given at your birth and being called this foreign thing. Hagar's story already starts in pain. And as Sarah realizes that she is not able to have children, um, she tells Abraham to have children with Hagar. And she gives Hagar to Abraham as, um, do this, have children with her. And Hagar never offers consent to this. She never agrees. She never even got the opportunity. And so in a lot of ways, Hagar was trafficked by Sarah to Abraham. Hagar became a sex slave to Abraham. And once she became pregnant, she was no longer a concubine. Um, she actually became Abraham's wife. And so um, that made she and Sarah kind of sister wives or co-wives. They were both married to Abraham because in order for um, in order for the child of this pregnancy between Hagar and Abraham to become a legal heir, they had to be married. The child of a concubine was not a legal heir, and so therefore didn't carry on the lineage of Abraham. And so Abraham and Hagar and Sarah were married. And after becoming pregnant, Hagar started to look at Sarah differently. It says that she, the scripture says that she looked down upon Sarah. And so Sarah then treated Hagar harshly. I mean, this, the, the, it's how it's translated is that the, she was treated bitterly or she was treated harshly. And in our English translation, I mean, it sounds bad. This is all really bad. It sounds bad, but in the actual Hebrew, it's worse. Um, so our English language sort of, I don't know, cleans it up a little bit. But the word that's used, is, that's used for how Sarah treats Hagar 
is the same word that is used for how Pharaoh treated the Israelite slaves. This is bad. This is deep abuse that Hagar has experienced. And so after she gives birth to Ishmael and she's been having this harsh treatment, she ran away. And good Lord, who could blame her for the ways that she'd been treated and what she'd experienced? She ran away. And as she's in the wilderness, she encounters a messenger of God who we actually know to be God. And when she encounters this messenger, she claims her identity as a slave. My mistress, Sarah. She can't even see herself as free. She's been so conditioned to, to believe something else about herself. She encounters God. And she's one of only a few that has seen God and lived to tell the story. And in fact, she names God. Elroy. God who sees me. That's what Elroy means. You saw me in the middle of her pain, in the middle of her shame, in the middle of her torture. God saw her and she saw God. It's significant and it's beautiful. And then she sort of disappears for a little while, at least from our, our, our reading of the story. We don't hear too much about her other than Ishmael grows. And then Isaac was born. And it was a surprise to Sarah and Abraham. In fact, Sarah laughed when it happened. And Isaac means she laughed. But once Isaac was born, Sarah was re-reminded of her hatred of Hagar. Because Hagar represented everything that she couldn't have before a child. And she just hated Hagar. And so she told Abraham, cast Hagar and Ishmael out into the wilderness. Throw them out. I don't care. Throw them out. And Abraham does. Throws out Hagar and Ishmael into the wilderness and, and hopes that they don't return. And God, Elroy, sees Hagar again and promises that a great nation will be made from her. This is a promise that had previously only been made to Abraham. But to Hagar, he promises a great nation will be made from her. As Hagar and Ishmael are in the wilderness, God hears Ishmael's cries and keeps the promises that God made. In fact, as the, the end of our scripture passage 
says God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and he became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother got a wife from him, for him, from the land of Egypt. So we know that they grew and they were healthy and God kept God's promises. That's a lot that's going on in this story. That's a whole part of the story that we often don't tell because, well, Abraham and Sarah are often the heroes of the faith. And as heroes, we don't often tell the, the harsh parts of their story, but they're there. I mean, there's usually the, there's more going on in the story than, than it seems like. There's always like just the little bit that we see on the surface and like the giant bit that's underneath, like an iceberg. I mean, it's true of many of the stories of scripture and, it, and it's even true of our own stories. Now, as you've heard this story, and maybe you're thinking, how does this relate to my story? Well, maybe you haven't experienced abuse like Hagar did, and I certainly hope that you haven't, at least. And yet some have. And yet you have probably experienced, you felt the stung of being cast out, called names, used, treated terribly. And it isn't fair to compare and say, oh, but, but they had it worse than I did. It, it's not a competition. Your story is your story, and abuse in any form is not okay. And sometimes these things can, can just make you feel invisible, like no one knows or can understand how you feel, like no one has ever been where you've been, and we just want to be seen by Elroy. God, by someone, Elroy, the one who sees. I had a woman once who at the end of a worship service, as she shook my hand, remember when we used to do that? She shook my hand and she slipped a piece of paper in there and asked me to call her. And after the service was over and everyone had left, I, I opened up the paper where she'd written, I'm in a domestic violence situation. My husband is hurting me. Please pray for me. And so I called her the next day and I asked if it was safe to talk. And she said, yes, her husband was working. And she shared her story and she asked if we could talk more and more frequently. And I said, absolutely. And she explained that her husband didn't allow her to have a car. So wondered if I could come to her home. And so we met frequently over the next few months. 
um, and she was able to speak openly and we talked about ways that she could leave or what she could do for help for herself. We talked about her concern for herself and for her children and also her concern for her husband. We had Bible study together and we prayed together. And then one day when I came to visit with her, her husband was there. And um, he was very angry at first. And I thought, oh no, what kind of situation am I in? And I'm not going to lie. It was a dangerous situation at first. And then it... Um, it melted into some, some honest conversation. And within a few hours, I had gotten them an appointment for a counselor and had a plan of action for when she felt unsafe. It was a very, very rough few months. And they started to come to church more regularly. He repented of his actions and his abuse he stopped drinking and they started on a journey of forgiveness and reconciliation. And, and it was not and is still not easy. There are mounds and, and years of hurt. In one of the last conversations that I had with her, she said to me, you saw me when no one else did. And I just responded, I heard your cry. You cried out. Elroy, the God who sees us, who hears our cry. And when we cry out, God hears us. And not only does God hear us, but God responds. For Hagar, it was these promises of covenant, of water, of living water, of deep care. Always grace. God always hears our cries. And we also hear the cries of others. How will we walk alongside them in the wilderness? How will we let someone walk alongside us? Because that can take some vulnerability and it can be scary. This last year, oh, it's been difficult, right? And for a million reasons. I started seeing a, a new counselor recently and she asked why I was starting counseling. And I said, Hmm, 2020? Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, it's been tough. And any one of the one things that we've been through communally have been hard. I mean, pandemic, political stress, economic stress, teaching, remote learning, remote teaching, masking, not seeing folks, no hugs. Oh, 
not to mention the grief, both large and small. I mean, it doesn't all feel small. I mean, grieving the loss of someone, maybe not being able to to have a funeral or a memorial service in the way that we'd we'd always thought or, or hoped or wanted to. Or maybe grieving the loss of something that you love to do. This last year, and maybe still feels like a wilderness, being tossed in, being abused and used, feeling alone and isolated or, or even just invisible. And we're not. There's a God who sees us, who hears us in the middle of our deepest cries. Elroy. In our hot mess, ugly cries. You know the cry that's like snot running down your face and like just red streaks? You know that cry that you hope that no one ever sees you in your entire life? God does. In the middle of our pain and heartbreak, you know that gut-wrenching, that just heart beating out of your chest, feeling like it's been shattered in a million pieces. You know what that feels like? God sees you. God sees us and hears our cries and doesn't ignore us and doesn't say, oh, that's too much for me. God sees us, El Roy sees us in the middle of right where we are and offers us grace again and again and again and again. Receive this gift of grace in the middle of the wilderness. Let it carry you through, even if those steps are slow. Let it walk, belong, walk alongside you. Let it drag you forward. Let it comfort and challenge you. Let it bless and nurture you. Let it hold you. Let it join you outside of the wilderness. Let it open you up to others who need to be seen. May we bring our pain with us in the wilderness and may we leave it there. May we find ourselves stronger, not in spite of it, but because of it. And may we remember that grace always, always, always sees us. Amen.